Good morning again. Welcome to our At The Movie series here at Anchor. It's our summer, uh, our fun summer series where we uh, take movies and we examine them to find biblical principles within. Um, I said this last week, I love movies, I love good stories, and Jesus loved good stories too. In Mark chapter 4, verse 34, he says, it says this, in fact, in his public ministry, he, being Jesus, never taught without using parables. But afterward, he, he, well, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Jesus always used stories to teach. He always used uh, stories about the issues of the day to, to teach people about the ways of God. And that's what our hope is with this At The Movies series. And last week we talked about Hacksaw Ridge and Life Lessons of War. And um, I, thought, I, I thought Hacksaw Ridge was a really good movie. I know someone in here who didn't agree. Looking at you, Hannah. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just giving her a hard time. Um, but today we have a pri- we have the privilege of hearing from uh, a good friend, um, a pastor and uh, pastors in in um, Baltimore at Epic Church. Uh, Chris uh, and his lovely wife Lori are here with us. So welcome, Chris, as he comes. Give him a big Anchor Church welcome. Come on, guys. Hello. Oh, there it is. There's one button on the microphone, and I didn't hit it. All right. Good morning. How are you guys? It's so, so good to be with you all. Um, thank you for having us. Uh, if you are a regular here or maybe a guest, uh, Pastor uh, Ryan will be, be back next week. And so uh, thank you for, for having us. It is totally an honor to be with you. I uh, met your pastor, Ryan, um, not much long after he moved here. We grabbed lunch and connected and uh, been joined together in, in a, a kind of a group of pastors in the area. And uh, man, we just love him to death. And then last night, got to meet Robin for the first time and uh, had dinner together. And she is a spark of joy. And I want to tell you, you guys have some amazing pastors. So before we actually do anything further, could we just give it up for your pastors? Just praise God for uh, the Martinez family, the growing family, too. Uh, baby girl coming soon. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just honored, totally honored to be here. My wife, Lori, is here with me, and so it's always uh, amazing to have her here as well. Actually, we have a picture of our whole family. You'll be able to see uh, her and the kids, uh, if, if you can see them there. So that's me on the left. Just make sure you're paying attention. This is Lori. Uh, our oldest daughter's here in the bottom middle. That's London. She's 13. Uh, our next daughter is above her. That's Lyric. She's two. And then uh, Liam, he is one. And then you got the two dogs, Locke and Leia. They're in there too. Uh, important, very important to have them in there. Uh, yes, we have a one and a two-year-old. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, yes, yeah, so life is absolutely exciting. And uh, me and Lori are just, uh, just honored to be with you guys and blessed to be here. And so also excited to talk about At The Movies. So we did At The Movies at our church a couple years ago, and uh, it was a blast. But man, it is a lot of work to put all those clips together and all that. So I just tons of respect to you and whoever's doing all that stuff. Uh, so he, uh, he asked me to come and preach. And what, you know, what movie would you want to talk about? Well, there's a movie that I'm not allowed to watch in my house anymore, not because it's a bad movie, but because I watch it too much. And that's Back to the Future. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put a whole nother group of people through the punishment of Back to the Future uh, today because my family won't let me do it anymore. Um, and I love this movie because it deals with the element of time. 
And if you haven't seen it, this is from 1985, I think. Yeah, this is way back. Uh, I think we have the trailer. Do we have the trailer? All right, if you haven't seen it and you don't know what the movie's about, check this out. I had a horrible nightmare. Dreamed that I went back in time. Wow. Safe and sound now, back in good old 1955. 1955? Oh, Doc, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Hey, McFly! This is the big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. You're my mom. You're my mom. All right, back to the future. Um, we'll get into the, the storyline and the, the core of that, but I want to start with a scripture from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is Mark's first words of Jesus in his gospel. Mark 1, uh, starting at verse 15. It says this, Jesus speaking, the time has come. The time. Everybody say time. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's, uh, let's pray and just ask God to be with us and give us his, his heart today. That we hear his, his voice uh, while, while we're together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that as we open it up, we see this good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And so, Lord, I pray today that our hearts would be transformed by you, by the power of your word. God, not just hear my voice today, but we would hear your voice speak to our hearts, transform us and change us. And God, that we could leave this room different than the way we came in. We love you and we thank you, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Have you ever been waiting on something to arrive, something to come, and it, it it came at a time that you weren't expecting, right? Maybe it's an Amazon package. Uh, maybe it's a baby and delivery. You know, maybe it's tra you hit traffic and you're not able to get to a destination in time. Um, as you saw in the picture, um, Lori and I, we have three kids. Two of them are uh, in diapers. And so our two-year-old, we are in the process of uh, potty training. Again, I'm in my 40s, and I'm potty training. This is, just, this is wild. This is wild stuff. And so uh, we're at the point with our two-year-old. She's making great progress. But every once in a while, you know, you have those days where you need to set a timer. You know, like, hey, we're going to go. We're going to try every 30 minutes or every 60 minutes. And then there are some times that something will happen in between the timers, you know, you're like, okay, we tried, nothing happened, and we're going to set a timer, we'll come back in 30 minutes, but about 10 minutes goes by, and you can see the look on her face, oh, it's time, right? It, the time has come, we need, to run to, we need to run to the bathroom, you better run to the bathroom, or it's going to be a disaster. We, there are times in our life when we are waiting for something to arrive, and it comes when we really weren't expecting it, or maybe well past 
our expectation has dropped. Mark, the shortest and probably the first gospel written um, early, early on after the Jesus communities had begun to spread. Uh, and not only is he the shortest and the first, Mark gets right down the business. He doesn't have any genealogies. There's no birth narrative. He just starts with Jesus is the guy. Here we go. And so the first time we see Jesus show up, he says this, hey, the time has come. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the skies has come, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, uh, in the New Testament, it's written in Koine Greek. Uh, it, it uses two words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is the seconds, the minutes, the hour, a chronological sequence of time. It's how we measure the age of a thing. The other word, Greek word for time, is the word kairos, which means the right moment, the right opportunity. It's the destiny or the purpose of a thing to, to come about. Mark says Jesus showed up and tells us that the kairos has come. He doesn't say chronos. He doesn't say it was uh, the perfect sequence of time and now here I am. Now we know in God's time it's always perfect, right? He's never late. He's never early. When God does what he wants to do, it's right on time. But it's rarely on our time. And so Jesus shows up and said, hey, the kairos has come. This is the moment that you have been waiting for. This is the moment that has been destined, that we have been talking about since the beginning of time, since the, in the garden when, when God said, hey, there's going to be the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Even though he's going to wound his heel, he's going to put to death once and for all evil and the enemy. This is what you have been waiting for. Here I am. This is the moment you've been waiting for. But they had no clue that this was that moment. In our movie, Back to the Future, our first clip uh, talks about Marty, who accidentally gets sent back into the future in his time in 1955, bumbling around uh, a town that he was familiar with, but in an age that he was clueless about. He's kind of messed up his life. He got in uh, somehow involved with his mom, and his mom has a crush on him in this weird scenario, and he's like, what, am, what have I done? He finds the doc who, uh, who's helped him in the, in, in the DeLorean to get back to this place, and so they concoct the plan that they have to get his parents to fall back in love, or he will cease to exist. So here's our first clip for today. Check this out. Doc, she didn't even look at him. This is more serious than I thought. Apparently her mother is amorously infatuated with you instead of your father. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Doc, are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the hots for me? Precisely. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? What? The only way we're going to get those two to successfully bait is if they are alone together. So you've got to get your father and mother to interact in some sort of social... Well, what, you mean like a date? Right. Well, what kind of days? I don't know. What are kids doing in their 50s? Well, they're your parents. You must know them. What are their common interests? What do they like to do together? Nothing. Look, there's a rhythmic ceremonial ritual coming up. Of course, the enchantment under the sea dance. They're supposed to go to this. That's where they kiss for the first time. All right, kid. You stick to your father like glue and make sure he takes her to that dance. 
in this next, uh, in the scene that follows, uh, he, he says, hey, man, I think Lorraine, he tells his dad, I think Lorraine's got the hots for you. She really wants you to ask her to the dance. And so George goes and he says, and they're, you know, in two different leagues in that high school era. He asks her, hey, Lorraine, how you doing? She doesn't even look at him. She walks right by. She, he, he, George hears the information that this is what is supposed to happen. And as he steps it out, it doesn't happen. And leads me to our first point today in our message is this. Knowing isn't enough. Knowing isn't enough. In our culture, we have such a high emphasis on, on education and knowledge and research. And we have access to more information in our pocket than all of history combined up until this moment. And it really hasn't fixed our society, has it? Information is not the cure. Knowing isn't actually enough. Marty has the information that is crucial for his soon-to-be dad's future and George, hearing it and knowing it, is not enough for it to actually happen. Here's the thing. You and I know the end of the story, right? We know how this thing is going to pan out. Jesus is going to return with fire in his eyes, right? And Satan is going to be vanquished once and for all. And Revelation tells us that it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be a place where there's no more tears, no more disease, no more cancer, no more racism, no more division, no more poverty. Can I get it? Amen. I mean, this is going to be a good future to look forward to. But it is not a future that we are living in yet. Knowing the end doesn't actually help us too much other than give us hope that there is a future ahead. Anybody have a promise from God that you're still waiting on to be fulfilled? Let me see. Let me see. I see that here. Right, I got a few. I'm in the right crowd. Me too. I got a couple things I'm praying for and have yet to come about. Knowing the promises of God and living in the promises of God are not the same thing. When Jesus came, he was born his life, death, burial, resurrection inaugurated this kingdom of God coming down. It started a new time in our history. This is the place, this is the moment where God had come to tabernacle himself, live with us. It inaugurated a new kingdom. But it hasn't consummated yet. We live in this place where scholars call it the now and the not yet. We have the truth and the beauty and, and the, the presence of God living in us, but it doesn't mean that we are living in the full, consummated kingdom of heaven here and now. That is still yet to come. It is now, but it is not yet. Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 5, it says this. He says, look, it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. Verse 6 but there is a place where someone has testified, and he quotes Psalms chapter 8 here, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? Verse 7, you made them a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under, do you know how you have everything been put under your feet? It's the authority you have been given by God. As a human being, these dirt creatures, he has, he has put everything under our authority put everything under the feet. And in putting everything under them, God left nothing that's not subjected to them. 
Jesus echoed this when he said, look, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. But I love how the writer of Hebrews finishes this. He left nothing that's not subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. We have a reality, a truth in us. We know that God has given us authority that we speak into, we pray into, we live and we proclaim the, God, the promises of God. But we also have a very real reality that not every promise we pray for happens the moment we speak it, right? We have prayer requests that are out there and we're waiting for God. We have a prodigal sons and daughters and wayward children that we're waiting for them to come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus, Right? Anybody know someone who's addicted to substances and we're praying and asking God and pleading for them to be free and yet at present it hasn't happened. We don't yet live in that future reality where there is no more tears, no more cancer, no more racism, division, brokenness, and poverty. We live in a messed up world. But does that mean we stop praying? Nope. Does it mean we stop believing? Absolutely not. Does it mean we stop proclaiming the promise of God? No way. We have to do something more than just know the promises of God. we got to start to walk them out. And so, George, back to our movie, he's convinced, finally, there's a set of events that's pretty humorous. George is convinced that he needs to date Lorraine and... Uh, he, he's like, you know what, i got to shoot my shot. And so we, we're going to jump into the scene at the diner where he finally approaches her. And he's not just knowing it, he starts to believe this reality that she is for him. Check this out. Density has brought me to you. What? Oh, what I meant to say was... Wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? Yes. Yes. I'm George. George McFly. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. Oh. And you're flying! second point today, there is always an obstacle. When you're trying to live out the truth and the reality that God's given you, you got to know there's always an obstacle. There's always a biff that's going to step in and be a bully. And we know that bully, Scripture teaches us, is Satan, is the enemy, right? He's the adversary. He's the one, that, the accuser of the brethren. Jesus would call him the father of lies. Every time, I guarantee you, when you leave here on a good service at Anchor Church, man, you feel pumped up. Pastor Ryan got me believing. Yes, I know what I'm supposed to do. I got it down in my soul. Worship was amazing, which, by the way, worship was amazing today. But some, some random Sunday, you leave this place and you get into your car. Man, we're going to go conquer the world. I promise you, the enemy's waiting for you as soon as you leave your seat. And in some weird spiritual way, he's saying, McFly, I thought I told you never to come in here. I thought I never told, I told you to never believe that, to actually own that truth and reality. There's always an obstacle. I'm going to give you three obstacles the enemy throws at us to keep us from our future, to keep us from our future. The first is deceitful ideas. 
Jesus said he was the father of lies. Deceitful ideas is, the, I think, the biggest and most major way he keeps you from the future God has designed you to live in. John Mark Comer, pastor in Portland, he wrote a book a few years ago called Live No Lies. And he has this working theory in it, uh, and I think it's, it's amazing and succinct about the enemies, the three enemies of our soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And how the enemy uses those, those enemies that we have, but deceitful ideas is the first domino to fall. And he says it like this. The enemy's strategy is one, deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires, which is our flesh, which is broken and in, 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 in uh, conflict with our spirit and with God, that are normalized in a sinful society. And so if you think about it, the enemy doesn't really need to tempt you. He doesn't really need to come at you face to face. He's got a society that's already opposed and antithetical to Scripture. He already has our flesh, which are prone to temptation and desires and doing what we want to do when we want to do it. So all he's got to do is sow a lie, a deceitful idea, to start and push that process along. He'll sow an idea, a lie, about what, what good really is and what you really deserve. You worked hard today. You deserve that. Go ahead and treat yourself. We were at dinner last night, and it really wasn't a discussion about should we order dessert. It was just sort of like, you know, the peer pressure. We're together. Is this great? Yeah, we're definitely going to order dessert. And I'm looking at this massive piece of chocolate cake with ice cream. And there is in no way that I have worked out enough that I have earned that piece of cake. But I went anyway because I thought, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. This is, I mean, it's real easy to come up with a, an excuse, a justification for doing what you want when you want to do it. Am I in the right, am I in the right place? I got friends here. Okay. All the enemy's got to do is just sow a deceitful idea to start that process and get us giving into our flesh, which society is telling you deserve anyway. Pay attention to the billboards that you drive up and down around, the commercials that come on your social media feed or your television. Hey, you earned this. You deserve it. Go ahead and go deeper into debt. You earned this. It's, it's super easy and simple, and I think it's a, an obstacle the enemy uses to keep us from the future God's designed us for. Second thing, second obstacle I think he puts in our way is false identity, a false identity. Genesis chapter 3, the original temptation in the garden, Satan, uh, the serpent, is speaking to Eve in this moment, and, and he says this in verse 4, you'll not certainly die the serpent said to the woman, verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Pay attention to his words. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve got into a banter with the serpent when what she should have said was, will be? What do you mean, I will be like God? I already am like him. He created me in his image. I'm already like 
him. If you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus out in the wilderness for 40 days, he gets tempted by the, by, by the enemy. Satan comes to tempt him in the wilderness. And what does his temptations uh, begin with? If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, cast your... What do you mean, if I'm the son of God? If you know your chronological order of the, the, New, the New Testament, before he steps into the wilderness, he just had a baptism moment where when he came up out of the water, the voice of the Father said, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. So for the, for, for the adversary, the enemy, the bully to come along and say, if you're the son of God... Jesus, what do you mean if? What do you mean if? You sure about that? You sure about that? That's exactly who I am. It's a dumb thing that just comes across Instagram all the time. It's a guy saying that. It's stuck in my head. What do you mean I will be? There are too many sons and daughters of God that have believed the lie that your identity is not his. You are not good enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not talented enough. You're not uh, beautiful enough and perfect enough and chiseled jawline enough. We have believed the lie that the enemy has told us of a false identity when in fact scripture says you are his. You are made with a purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are crafted to be a co-heir with God to partner with him in what he wants to do. Bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth through you and to be his hands and his feet. But you believe the lie that that's got to be for somebody else. I don't know the Bible good enough. I, I don't know the songs well enough. I'm not living a perfect enough life. I'm giving in to temptation too many times. I've disqualified myself from God's service. Hogwash. It's a lie. It's not true. Many of us believe not just we've disqualified ourselves because we're imperfect, but because we're not talented enough. We can't memorize things well enough. I'm not skilled musician. I, 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 I'm not eloquent in my speech. I love what a German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, said, who was a known atheist, but I think he speaks to some truth in this, in his work, Human, All Too Human. He says, because we think well of ourselves, but in no way expect we could ever make the sketch to a painting by Raphael or a scene like one in a play by Shakespeare, we convince ourselves that the ability to do so is quite excessively wonderful and a quite uncommon accident, or if we still have a religious, religious sensibility, a grace from above. He speaks to this thing that if we believe that there are just talented people, like Tiger Woods was just born to play golf, Michael Phelps was just born to be an Olympic swimmer. Celine Dion was just born to be an amazing singer. I just don't have it that way. Well, that actually lets us off the hook from trying and using what God has given us. See, here's the thing. If Tiger's father didn't put a golf club in his hand when he was barely walking, he wouldn't be who he is today. I've met Michael Phelps multiple times. He does look like a fish. His torso is as long from like my knees to my head. The guy's just built long. His arms just drag on the ground. He's built for a pole. But I also met his mother. And if his mom didn't put him in the water, he wouldn't be the most decorated Olympian to ever walk the face of the earth. 
If Celine Dion never put herself in the vocal booth and to go into training and to do the practice, she wouldn't be who she is. It's easy for us to sit back and say, oh no, they're just gifted people. That's just who they are. I'll never be that. It lets yourself off the hook. When you believe there are super talented, super spiritual, super gifted people, you come into agreement with the oldest lie of the enemy that you're just not good enough. And it's a false identity. It's not it's not true. I'll close this point with, with, with this quote from Henry Nouwen. He says, these feelings, as strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I can't feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in the everlasting embrace. If you don't hear anything I say today, please hear that. You have been called by him, by the creator of the world, the one who said, let there be light. He also said, let there be you. And he's loved you from the foundations of the world. You have to believe that that is the truest truth that could ever be. Last obstacle I think the enemy puts in front of us is lesser pleasures. Lesser pleasures. C.S. Lewis said it this way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. That we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think there's an obstacle that the enemy puts in front of us is just lesser pleasures. If we can believe the lie that there are just super talented, spiritual, gifted people out there, I don't have to try as hard as I let myself off the hook. I, I, I'm just going to give in to these lesser, more convenient, close-by pleasures. To step into the future that God has created us for, we must stop settling and stand tall as the beloved, the called, the co-heirs of God. All right, back to our movie. George not only knows the truth, he starts to believe it. He stands up to Biff. This is a beautiful scene where he balls up this like awkward left-handed fist and he sideswipes Biff in the face and knocks him out. It's great. It looks like, man, this is it. Where he's walking in his future. He has become who he was supposed to be but there's still one thing yet to do. He's got to kiss the girl, right? I got Sebastian in my head. Kiss the girl. All right, let's check out a third clip. Scram, McFly. I'm cutting in. Hey, boy, you all right? I can't play. Excuse me.
amazing movie. We're definitely watching this later. She just know that. The third, third point today that we learn about time is that transformation is when time and destiny meet. When you not only know the truth that God is speaking, you're not only believing it, but you're letting it transform you. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and 19, Paul says, For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory. Everybody say glory. The glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God, plural, children of God. See, what Jesus stepped into in Mark chapter 1 was that we had all been waiting for the Son of God to be revealed. But here's the twist in the story. He says, you know what? I am now in you. My spirit is in you. You are sons and daughters of God. Now go into all the world and make disciples. And so Paul says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The word revealed is apocalypsis. It's a revelation. It's like a, a car uh, company having the brand new model of the car and they have this big thing and all these people are there and they're taking pictures and it's covered under this like piece of silk and, and they say, this is it, this is the moment. We're going to see what this thing is all about. And they grab the corner of the sheet and they pull it off and it <laughs> hugs every corner and <laughs> is gone. And then you get to see for the first time this brand new creation. <gasps> and you see the flash bulbs pop, 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 pop. Everybody wants to get a glimpse of it. That's what it's like when you start to not only know the truth of God and believe the truth of God and step into your who he's called you to be, the promises of God. It's like a revealing out into the world. And here's the thing. It's not you being revealed into the world. It's the glory of God being revealed in you. It's so that when people look at your life and say, man, I know you, Chris. <laughs> you're, you're kind of a hot mess. You know, you're kind of nervous and you got this weird energy about you and you, you have a real short fuse and I know you because I know your past, but somehow there's something different in you that I've never seen before. It's the same you, but it's not. It's when the world looks at you and says, hey, I know you used to fly off the handle at these meetings at work every month. How come you, you kind of sat there and you had a smile on your face and it wasn't a sarcastic smile like you really enjoy? What's different about you? Oh, it's just the glory of God being shown through me. It's the goodness of God being shown through me. The world is waiting for the children of God to be revealed, to be shown. It's the image of God, the likeness of Jesus, the splendor of perfect love somehow shining through imperfect, broken, and sinful people. So how do we transform? I'll do this, uh, wrap this up quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we renew our minds so that we can be transformed? With the word of God. And it's reading it, it's speaking it, it's praying it, it's believing it, it's living it, it's professing it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. The word profess is this Greek word homologeia. Homologeia. 
And it's a compound word, but it means same word. When we profess what Scripture is already saying, we are making our profession and the Word of God the same word. Does that make sense? See, many of us are professing the lies of the enemy, the untruths, or what culture is saying about you. I'm just a failure. I'm never going to make it. Our marriage is not going to make it through this rough patch. Oh, they'll never get free from that addiction. Oh, I'm never going to be able to break this bad habit. It's just the way that it is. You're coming into agreement with the lies of the enemy. You're professing untruth and you're making it reality. Instead, we have to proclaim the truth of the word. Knowing that we're not always going to see it happen in an instant, we still have to make our profession the same profession that the word is saying. He's created me to be free. It is for freedom that he has set you free. You are not to be bound in the bondage of the enemy and the chains of Satan. No, he's cre- the anointing breaks the chains of bondage. What God has put together, let no man, that's the profession you need to be praying over your marriage. I know things are rocky. I know we can't agree on stuff. I know we're in financial hardships. I know we can't have a normal conversation and it feels like we can't do it without fighting. But man, God said, let no man separate what God has put together. I'm gonna profess that unity prayer. I'm gonna profess his goodness over my marriage and what happens is you begin to transform you begin to change into who he has called you to be and so my last point today is this transformation happens when we become the people of promise when we step into the promises of God and not just praying them and professing them, but living them travailing to see them in our time becoming open vessels for the goodness of God to flow on earth Jesus said, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come. The kairos has come. I want you to know today the time has come. If you can, in some weird way, pretend I'm a, I'm a man from the future. And I'm telling you that you are going to become a man, a woman of promise. You're going to be a world changer. You haven't seen it yet, but communities are going to be completely different because you said yes to Jesus one day. You're going to have kids that love the Lord who have kids that love the Lord who themselves become world changers. Imagine I'm Marty and I'm coming from the future with a a destiny that you have yet to see. And just like Jesus said, the time has come. They're like, the time for what? You're some nobody from some nowhere. What do you mean? It was a Kairos moment. It starts when you not only hear it, believe it, begin to step into what God's called you to. That's my hope today, is that you not only say yes, but you step into the future that God has for you. So where are you at in this? Have you heard it but not believed it? Have you believed it but not really let it sink into your bones? Or maybe it's all the way at the beginning, and I don't know you guys from Adam. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus at all. Here's the thing, I've been around church my whole life. And I know it's possible to sit in church to know about Jesus, but not know Jesus for ourselves. And so before I close out and hand it over to Pastor Ryan, could we take a moment and have a, uh, just a moment between us and God? Could I ask you just to close your eyes, bow your heads today? No one looking around, moving around. 
Today, if you would say, Chris, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about, the one that inaugurated a, a whole new way to live, a whole new way to exist. But I want that transformation that he's talking about. I want that change. I want that new birth. It's the way he says it in John chapter 3, to be born again. I want to know him, and I want to be known by him, and I want to make him known to the world around me. Today, if you're in the sound of my voice and you don't know this Jesus, maybe you've never said yes to him in your life, but you want to today. No one looking around. If you want to accept him, receive him today, would you just kind of lift your hand up in the air? Just between you and Jesus, nobody, nobody else knowing. Amen. All right, if you're here today, you're in the sound of my voice, you've known him, but maybe you've drifted away from him. You want to reconcile. You want to recommit yourself today. You say, God, I don't want, I just don't want to know. I want to believe. And I want to be transformed by you. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand up in the air? Just recommitting yourself, leaning back into the goodness of God. Amen. And I know there's some that are out there watching online. Maybe you're catching the stream live, or maybe you're watching it later on. I want you to know right where you are. This prayer that we're going to pray together, you can pray it right where you are this morning. And God can do a work in your heart because it's connecting the faith in our heart to the words of our mouth. So come on, Anchor Church, can we all just repeat this prayer today? Whether you raised your hand or you didn't, can we just say this and say it with conviction? Come on, say, dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross in my place. I admit I am not perfect. I'm a sinner that needs forgiveness. So right now, I receive your grace, your mercy, and your goodness. Come into my heart and make me new and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Anchor Church, come on, can we just put our hands together and celebrate the opportunity for salvation today? Pastor Ryan. Good word. Can we, can we just give it up for Pastor Chris one more time? That was awesome. Pastor Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. It was, it was good. It was the right, the right kairos for, for this message. So it was, it was good, man. Thank you. Um, if you prayed that prayer uh, with Pastor Chris um, to uh, give your life to the Lord or recommit your life to the Lord, we don't want you to walk that journey alone. We have a gift for you um, at the welcome table. They, they have a, a bag that's got some resources that we want to put in your hands to, to get you started off right. And, and um, don't, don't, if you, if you prayed that prayer, don't walk out without saying anything to anyone. Let, let some, uh, someone at the welcome team know, tell me, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. So um, yeah, we're, we're not meant to do this, this this uh, Christ follower thing alone. So, so come, come uh, tell somebody about it. So uh, today we're going to observe communion. So you can get your communion emblems ready. Um, and uh, before we uh, partake of, of the emblems, I just wanted to read uh, a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's verses 18 and 19, and it says this. 
And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's what this is about. The the bread represents the body of Christ that was beaten and bruised and and killed for us. The, The juice represents his blood that was the blood of the the new covenant that makes us children of God. This is all about reconciliation. And God has reconciled, if you're a Christ follower today, God has reconciled you to himself. But for just a moment, I just, I want you to look around and I want you to look at the empty seats really quickly. I want you to, to see the empty seats. All the empty seats represent people in our city who aren't found in the love of Christ yet. All the empty seats represent people in our city who don't know the love of God yet. And it's our task, it's our mission to reconcile that, to, to help them come to reconciliation. That's our mission, that's the task that he's given us, reconciling people to himself. So what I wanna do right now before we partake, I just wanna take a moment to examine, examine your, your own walk with the Lord, Make sure, make sure you're right, because um, Scripture tells us that, that we shouldn't take of, of communion without examining ourselves first. So let's take a moment, let's examine our hearts, um, just quietly right where you're at. the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he was having dinner with his disciples, and he was teaching them all sorts of things, and uh, there was a moment in the dinner where he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave each of his disciples a piece, and he said, this is my body, which has been given for you. When you eat this, remember what I'm doing. Remember what I've done for you. So as we partake of the bread right now, let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. Let's partake together right now. And then Jesus took a cup of wine and he said, this is, this this cup of wine, it's my blood. It, It represents my blood, which is being spilled for you and for all mankind. Whenever you drink it, Remember what I did for you. So as we partake of the juice, the cup right now, let's remember what he did for us. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you made a way for us to get to you when there was no way. You adopted us from darkness into your kingdom. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you. Thank you. God, I pray that that you would imprint on our hearts the task you have for us of reconciling people back to yourself. Help us to always remember 
that's our mission. That's, that's what you want from us, to help reconcile people back to you. It's a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. As your children, we're here to rescue as many people as we can to your kingdom. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to do right now is the worship team is just going to lead us in a song. We're going to take a moment, and we're just going to... We're just going to reflect on what the Holy Spirit's been doing. It's just going to be a couple minutes, so I want to encourage you, don't rush through this moment. Don't, don't leave just yet. Allow the Holy Spirit to do, do the work that he's, he's already doing in your heart. Um, if you want to stand and sing, you can. If you want to sit and pray, you can. If you, need to just, if you need to sit and just listen for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, do that. But however you need to, to respond in this moment, I want to encourage you, do that. It's only going to be a couple minutes. Worship team, lead us. May his favor be upon you for a thousand generations. That's his, that's his promise. That's his blessing that he will be with us always. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the ability to come worship you. Thank you, God, for the ability to sing your praises and to hear your word and, and God, to be encouraged and to feel your love. And thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you go before us and you go behind us and you're all around us and you're within us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. There's no other God like you. There's no other God like you. Thank you, God. We sing your praise today, God. We, we worship you and you alone. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. And finally, that original benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Thanks for being with us today, everybody. Thanks for, for worshiping. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.